Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Good evening, Money Penny. Good evening, James. And we'll meet you in the Situation Room. I'm to take you straight in. Mm. I've never seen you after hours, Money Penny. Lovely. Thank you, James. Out on some kind of professional assignment, dressing the kill. You will find this crushing, 007. But I don't sit at home every night praying for some international incident. So I can run down here all dressed up to impress James Bond. I was on a date, if you must know, with a gentleman. We went to the theater together. Oh, money, Penny, I'm devastated. What would I ever do without you? As far as I can remember, James, you've never had me. Hope springs eternal. You know, this sort of behavior could qualify as sexual harassment. Really? What's the penalty for that? Someday you have to make good on your innuendos. After you, money penny. No, insist. You first. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 123, Goldeneye. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge thank you for being here and welcome back to all of you wonderful, brilliant returning listeners and a huge welcome to all brand new listeners to this podcast who've probably just come because it's James Bond. But thank you so much for being here. You are wonderful and amazing. And basically, no matter how you're here, it's great that you are here. Especially because this is the first time I'm actually covering a James Bond movie. So this is quite a momentous occasion. But first, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to previous episodes, to Prometheus and Alien Covenant, to Jennifer's Body and to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All of those episodes came out within a week of each other in October. And October is obviously generally seen as spooky season. But now we've moved into November, it's back to a more general roster of films. And the first up is Goldeneye. And I wanted to do a Bond movie. And so I asked on Twitter, 
because Twitter knows everything. Which bond should I do? And overwhelmingly, the response was Goldeneye. Spy movies are not something that I cover on the podcast that regularly. And this is clearly a genre that I need to invest a bit more time in. But Bond really is the stalwart classic spy staple. And so it made perfect sense to jump straight into Brosnan era Bond. Because this is really the first truly modern incarnation of Bond. And we're going to start with the trailer. Which gives a hell of a lot away, actually, if you watch this trailer. It pretty much tells you everything that happens in this movie. It's one of the worst trailers for spoilers that I've ever seen. But anyway, here's the trailer for Goldeneye. When the world is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over Savannah. And the threat is real. Goldeneye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find Goldeneye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. Name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the matter? No pithy comeback? He was your friend. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. Is the satellite in range? Target is London. Now, the entire world is about to be caught in the crossfire. See you in hell, James. You first. Kill him. The pleasure will be all mine. Did you check her out? Head to toe. Three clicks, arms the fuse. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Grow up, 007. I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. You know, James, I was always better. Both of you, stop it. You like boys with toys. Is to quit while you're still here. I wouldn't think of it. Charming, sophisticated secret agent. Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> Get us out of here! Bond. Only Bond. Man just won't take a hint. He don't need the gun. That depends on your definition of safe sex. On November 17th. Rabbit! United Artists brings you, trust me, James Bond. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? That's one trick I've never learned. satellite system goes missing, James Bond is the only one who can stop those behind it. Sent to recover the weapon dubbed Goldeneye, Bond must investigate the identity of the Yanis Syndicate, who have stolen the weapon from a Russian research facility after an accident. Along the way, Bond must go up against a sexy yet deadly assassin and renegade Russian General Oromov, who happens to work directly for Yanis. But what James finds is that he is up against an enemy who happens to be an old friend and knows his every move. 
Yes, Jess, notice every move. Let's quickly go through the cast of this movie. We have Pierce Brosnan as James Bond in his debut, Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan, Isabella Skorupko as Natalia Simeonova, Famke Janssen as Xenia Onatop, Joe Don Baker as Jack Wade, Robbie Coltrane as Valentin Zukovsky, Cheki Cario as Dmitry Mishkin, Gottfried John as Colonel Oromov, Alan Cumming as Boris Grishenko, Serena Gordon as Caroline, Desmond Llewellyn as Q, Samantha Bond as Miss Moneypenny, Judy Dench as M, and a cameo from Minnie Driver as Arena, the club singer. The screenplay for GoldenEye was by Jeffrey Kane and Bruce Feierstein, the story by Michael France, and it was directed by Martin Campbell, and of course based on the character James Bond by Ian Fleming. And no story about James Bond can start without talking about Ian Fleming. The man behind the novels was a naval intelligence officer during the Second World War. It was Fleming who formed Operation GoldenEye. No, nothing to do with the movie, but I'm going to come to that. Operation GoldenEye in 1940 was an Allied plan to monitor Spain during the Second World War. After a possible alliance between Spain's fascist leader Francisco Franco and the Axis powers, the aim of Operation GoldenEye was to ensure that Britain could continue to communicate with Gibraltar if Spain either joined or was invaded by the Axis powers. And if you aren't aware, Gibraltar, which is located on the southern tip of Spain, is a British overseas territory and it has been since 1713. During the Second World War, Franco renewed Spain's claim to sovereignty over Gibraltar and most of the civilian population was evacuated to London, Morocco, Madeira and Jamaica. Spain never did invade Gibraltar and nor did the Axis powers invade Spain and Operation Goldeneye was shut down in 1943. But the legacy of Goldeneye continued. Ian Fleming would go on to buy 15 acres of land in Jamaica in 1946 and built a home overlooking a private beach at the Oracabessa Bay. He named the house and the estate Goldeneye after this mission. The house and estate is adjacent to James Bond Beach, which has a bar called Moonraker, and it's got some really good reviews on TripAdvisor too. Ian Fleming would start to write his first James Bond novel, Casino Royale, at Goldeneye in 1952, based on his wartime service and his previous career as a journalist, and that all provided inspiration for the character of James Bond. An officer in the Secret Intelligence Service, most commonly known as MI6, Bond was also a commander in the Royal Naval Reserve, he was based on secret agents and commandos that Fleming had met during the war, and was named after an American ornithologist, also called James Bond, because Fleming felt the name was unromantic, dull and masculine. Bond would be an everyman, but a man who could do extraordinary things. All of Fleming's Bond stories are written at the estate. He would finish writing Casino Royale in two months, and it was published on the 13th of April 1953 to positive reviews. 12 Bond novels and two short story collections were published between 1953 and 1966. The last two, The Man with the Golden Gun and Octopussy and the Living Daylights, were published posthumously after Fleming's death in 1961, as well as the book Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, released in 1964, which had been written by Fleming for his son Casper. The first on-screen adaptation of Fleming's novels was in 1954 in a live broadcast episode of anthology series Climax for which Fleming was paid $1,000 to adapt Casino Royale into a one-hour television drama starring Barry Nelson as James Bond. The Casino Royale episode was lost for decades after its 1954 broadcast until a black and white kinescope of the live broadcast was located by film historian Jim Schoenberger in 1981. 
1961, Ian Productions began working on Dr. No, an adaptation of the 1958 novel of the same name, starring Sean Connery as James Bond. But if I went through all the cinematic history of Bond, including the non-Eon Productions, this would be a pretty chunky episode. So we'll have to skip the works of Connery, Niven, Lazenby and more and go straight to Timothy Dalton. And Timothy Dalton is quite integral to the story of Goldeneye, especially because when Roger Moore hung up his licence to kill in 1985, the hunt was on for a new Bond. And one of the actors in consideration was Pierce Brosnan, who auditioned in 1986 alongside Timothy Dalton and Sam Neill. Brosnan was ruled out because he was contracted to star in Remington Steel at the time, and so Timothy Dalton was cast as Bond in August 1986 with a six-year, three-film contract. And that information is going to be very important coming up. Dalton, classically trained Shakespearean actor, was keen to portray the character as faithfully to Fleming's books as possible, to have Bond dark, cold, serious and mysterious, and read up on the novels extensively before he took his role in 1987's The Living Daylights. Dalton would return for 1989's Licence to Kill, and following its release, pre-production started on the 17th James Bond film, which would be Timothy Dalton's third outing as the character in May 1990, with production set to start in Hong Kong for a 1991 release. And this version was written by Albert R. Cubby Broccoli's stepson Michael G. Wilson and Alphonse Ruggiero, with a plot featuring a terrorist attack on a British nuclear facility in Scotland, threatening to cause World War III. Bond travels to East Asia to investigate corrupt businessman Henry Lee Ching, along with jewel thief Connie Webb and Bond fighting his former mentor Denham Crisp. Possible directors for Bond 17 included John Landis, Terry Kotchev, Roger Spottiswood and John Byram. In 1990, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, parent company of distributor United Artists, was set to be sold to Quintex for $1.5 billion. When Quintex couldn't provide a $50 million letter of credit, the deal fell apart, with Pathé Entertainment, not related to the French studio Pathé, swooped in and bought MGM United Artists for $1.2 billion. CEO of Pathé Giancarlo Peretti intended to sell off the distribution rights to the studio's catalogue to collect advance payments to finance the buyout, as this involved the international broadcasting rights to the entire 007 library and would mean less money for Danjak, Cubby Broccoli's company which owned the rights to Bond. Danjak sued Pathé in 1991, alleging the licensing violated the Bond distribution agreements the company made with the United Artists in 1962, while denying Danjak a share of the profits. Pathé would countersue Danjak and the production of Bond 17 starring Timothy Dalton was put on indefinite hold. MGM Pathé, as the company was now known, became bankrupt due to Peretti's behaviour and additional lawsuits meant it resulted in a foreclosure by financial backer Credit Lyonnaise in 1992. Danjak's lawsuits were settled in December 1992 and the re-renamed Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, now run by a subsidiary of Credit Lyonnaise, re-entered negotiations to develop Bond 17 with Danjak in 1993. But by 1993, Dalton's six-year contract had expired. And while Dalton was still Broccoli's first choice to play Bond again, that wouldn't come to pass for several reasons. The first was the ailing health of Cubby Broccoli. He took a consulting producer role with his daughter Barbara Broccoli, stepping up as producer of all movies going forward and taking control of Eon Productions along with her brother Michael G. Wilson. The original idea for Bond 17 was scrapped, and since the end of the Cold War in 1991, it was decided to make the post-Cold War era 
and the aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union, the backdrop for Bond 17 in a screenplay initially written by Michael France and a story that would be the first completely original James Bond movie with no references to any of Ian Fleming's novels or short stories. Barbara Broccoli contacted Dalton, who was interested in returning to the role, but there had been a big gap in between movies due to the lawsuits, and Broccoli wanted Dalton to return for multiple films. Dalton only wanted to return for one to complete his three-film agreement. After production was pushed back to April 1994, Timothy Dalton officially resigned from the role as he could not commit to multiple films. Despite the lack of an actual bond, further work continued on the screenplay throughout 1994 and Jeffrey Kane was brought in for rewrites with further work done by Kevin Wade and Bruce Feierstein. The final screenplay was credited to Kane and Feierstein and the story to France. Wade didn't receive a writing credit but was instead acknowledged by the naming of the character Jack Wade. Despite not being based on any of his previous stories, the movie was named Goldeneye as a direct homage to Ian Fleming, to his work during the Second World War and to his estate. But of course Remington Steele was long finished and so Pierce Brosnan was now available to succeed Timothy Dalton. But Brosnan wasn't the only candidate for Bond. Reportedly Mel Gibson, Hugh Grant and Liam Neeson all passed on the role. Ralph Fiennes was also approached but would appear further down the line in Daniel Craig's era as M. Paul McGann was also a top choice but was second choice to Brosnan. The character of M was also recast and based on Stella Remington, the real head of MI5 between 1992 and 1996. Reportedly, the character of M was based on Mansfield Smith Cumming, the first director of the Secret Intelligence Service. He would sign his letters C. Judy Dench's M is seen to be named Olivia Mansfield as per the inscribed box shown in Skyfall as she bequeathed her possessions to Bond. Mansfield Smith Cumming also discovered the use of semen as invisible ink during the First World War. That little nugget of information you get for free. Desmond Llewellyn, who'd been with the Bond franchise since 1963's From Russia With Love, returned as Q, and Sean Bean was cast as 006 Alec Trevelyan after the character was aged down from Augustus Trevelyan, a mentor figure to Bond, originally for Anthony Hopkins or Alan Rickman. Trevelyan was the first double O agent to have a substantial speaking role in a Bond film. Eon Productions was unable to use Pinewood Studios, home of Bond, due to First Night taking up the space. A site owned by the Ministry of Defence in Hertfordshire, an airfield and aircraft manufacturing plant during World War II, which contained huge factories and a thousand yard long runway at Leaveston, was chosen to primarily film Goldeneye at. Although originally perceived as a one-off venue, Leaveston Studios, as the owners would brand it, would become a premier filming location for productions like Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, the Harry Potter series, The Dark Knight, and previous episodes of this podcast, Edge of Tomorrow and Alien Covenant. Filming of GoldenEye began in January 1995 and concluded that June. Other filming locations included at the Contra Dam in Switzerland, where the famous opening bungee jump scene was filmed, Stuntman Wayne Michaels jumped 220 metres and set the record for the highest bungee jump off a fixed structure. The Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico was the huge satellite dish in the climax. However, most of the scenes at this location were done using miniatures and were shot in Britain. This huge telescope has since collapsed as of December 2020. Reference footage for the famous tank car chase were shot on location in St. Petersburg, the first time a Bond movie was allowed to shoot in Russia, but that came at an incredible cost, with plenty of bureaucracy and red tape over filming permits, of which there were almost 150 required just to film these few scenes. Because it was so difficult to film in Russia, most of the stunt work was done on the runway at Leavesden. 
This stunt sequence was the largest in the movie and took six weeks to finish. The whole chase was carefully storyboarded and the production was loaned a 42-ton Russian T-54-55 series tank from the East England Military Museum. Three tanks were purchased in St. Petersburg and used on the streets of St. Petersburg. However, they were modified with rubber tracks to avoid damaging the streets of the city. Each shot was captured by four to six cameras because scenes were often unrepeatable, especially in St. Petersburg and especially because of all the bureaucracy surrounding filming in St. Petersburg. Special effects supervisor Derek Meddings had worked on the series since 1973's Live and Let Die, and he was famous with his use of miniatures. He previously worked on Jerry Anderson's Super Mario Nation TV shows like Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. He'd do miniatures for GoldenEye for the train crash and jet fighter crash, as well as the destruction of the huge satellite, intercut with scenes shot in Britain using stuntmen. GoldenEye is dedicated to Meddings, who died of colorectal cancer in 1995, as the film was in post-production. Famke Janssen would do some of her own driving stunts in the Ferrari F355 against Bond's classic Aston Martin DB5. And rather famously, this was the first Bond movie that included a deal with carmaker BMW as Bond's car of choice. A BMW Z3 was featured in the movie months before its release and pre-orders for the special edition models sold out within a day of being made available. This is despite the Z3 having hardly any screen time and using none of its gadgets. This was the first ever three-picture deal between Bond and BMW. GoldenEye's use of the BMW Z3 is thought to be one of the most successful product placement deals of the 90s. GoldenEye was also Bond's first time using an Omega watch, and every single Bond movie since this, Bond has been wearing an Omega watch. GoldenEye was a Bond film of many firsts, but notably it's also the first Bond film to use CGI in the classic opening gun barrel sequence. But mostly GoldenEye is the start of bringing Bond into the 90s, and a womanising British spy was a relic of a bygone era. GoldenEye reflects how ideas have changed, not only post the Cold War and the fall of the Berlin Wall, but also with regard to the women in the story. Many criticisms levelled towards the franchise note that it treats women as purely eye candy. GoldenEye would retain the sexual innuendo, but also call out Bond's treatment of women. Miss Moneypenny claims his attitude could qualify as sexual harassment. His superior M calls him a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. And having a woman in charge of Bond was pretty crucial to show the character was none of these things. The women in this movie aren't just here to provide Bond with arm candy or just for him to protect. Natalia questions his lifestyle as well as his mission, but she's also resourceful and smart. Xenia on a top might have the ridiculous innuendo name, but is the femme fatale commanding sexual dominance over men. Xenia isn't as complex or interesting as Natalia, but both are more than equals for Bond and both are the antithesis to each other. And both are incredibly important to show the progression of the franchise in itself. Right, let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference because this is a part of the podcast where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring to Keanu Reeves. And it's not really related to this movie, I'll be completely honest. And <laughs> it's a very, very, another very, very tenuous link. But Keanu's mother once married a guy called Bond, Jack Bond. So his mother's name at one point was Patricia Bond. It's not anymore, but there's your Keanu Bond link that, you know, he was kind of linked to Bond. It's just not the right Bond. And now I cannot cover any other Bond movie ever again because... The rules are I can only use an obligatory Keanu reference once and there's really no other way of me linking Keanu to Bond. <laughs> so 
because I can only use reference once. This is going to be my only Bond movie. I mean, that's probably not true. I probably will do another Bond movie at some point, but I'm going to have to think of a really, really good reference for that one because this one's pretty bad, I'll be honest. Let's talk about the music because Bond music is pretty iconic. Every time a Bond song comes out, there's always loads of radio airplay. There's always a lot of opinion and discussion out there about Bond music. And this theme song, Goldeneye, was written by Bono and The Edge uh, of U2 and was performed by, obviously, the iconic Tina Turner. Unlike previous Bond movies, the film score did not incorporate any of the theme song's melodies, which director Martin Campbell would lament, as well as creative differences between him and composer Eric Serra. Usual Bond composer John Barry turned down the opportunity to score Goldeneye, but John Altman provided an alternative score for the St. Petersburg tank chase after Martin Campbell didn't like it and Eric Serra refused to update it. Swedish group Ace of Base, who were huge in the early 90s by the way, had also written a proposed theme song, but their label pulled the band out of the project, fearing the negative impact if the film wasn't a hit, that it could potentially affect their career. Their song was then rewritten as their single, The Juvenile. It's interesting though, because most Bond songs are actually always big hits, regardless of whether they're good songs or not. Tina Turner's song is still thought of though, by many, as one of the most iconic Bond theme songs of all time. And for obvious reason, because it's Tina Turner and she's awesome. Goldeneye premiered on the 30th of November 1995 at the Radio City Music Hall and went on general release in the US on the 17th of November 1995. The UK premiere followed on the 21st of November at the Odeon Leicester Square with general release three days later. And Goldeneye came out the same week as The American President, Toy Story, It Takes Two, Money Train and Casino, but would still hit number one in its first week. In its second week, it had to concede to the might of Woody and Buzz as Toy Story reigned supreme and would continue to reign supreme for weeks and weeks and weeks afterwards. Listen to my episode on Toy Story, which is episode 50, for more on that. And Goldeneye had quite a modest budget for the time. It was a $60 million budget, but Goldeneye would gross $352.2 million worldwide. Goldeneye earned more at the box office than the previous two Timothy Dalton movies combined and was the most successful Bond movie since Moonraker. It would also become the fourth highest grossing film worldwide in 1995 after Die Hard with a Vengeance, Toy Story and Apollo 13. It was also nominated for two BAFTAs for Best Sound and Special Visual Effects but lost to Braveheart and Apollo 13 respectively. This movie was followed a couple of years later by Tomorrow Never Dies, which was greenlit after the positive public reception to the teaser trailer for Goldeneye in May 1995 and carried a huge pressure to live up to Goldeneye. Pierce Brosnan's Bond era would continue with The World Is Not Enough and would conclude with Die Another Day, which would end Pierce Brosnan's run as Bond with invisible cars and water skiing down tsunamis. Goldeneye is probably most famous though, especially for people like me who grew up playing video games, for its video game adaptations. There were five in total, Goldeneye 1995, Goldeneye 007 1997, Goldeneye Rogue Agent, Goldeneye 007 2010 and Goldeneye Source. But honestly, there's really only one that we need to talk about and that is Goldeneye 007 which came out in 1997. It was developed by Rare and published by Nintendo for the N64. It's widely seen as one of the greatest first-person shooters of all time, became the third best-selling game for the console, and sold more than 8 million copies. 
Rare would use an upgraded version of GoldenEye's engine for its spiritual successor Perfect Dark. The team, led by Martin Hollis, visited the studios of the GoldenEye film several times to collect photographs and blueprints of the sets. Eon Productions and MGM, the companies that control the James Bond films, granted the team a broad licence and many levels were extended or modified to allow the player to participate in sequences not seen in the film. It was two years in development and as such came out just before Tomorrow Never Dies was released in cinemas. A remake of GoldenEye 007 came out in 2010, a modernised retelling of the story but with Daniel Craig as Bond and set between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall canonically in the Bond timeline. This game was developed by Eurocom and published by Activision for the Nintendo Wii. The game was remastered and ported to Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 and renamed GoldenEye 007 Reloaded. Neither reboot was as critically acclaimed as the original though. And a fan remake powered by Unreal Engine 4, GoldenEye 25, was in development and originally scheduled for a 2022 release in honour of the game's 25th anniversary, but became an original property with no reference to James Bond or GoldenEye after MGM Danjak sent a cease and desist letter to the developers. Let's move on to social media thoughts. So I like to ask people on social media, what do they think of the movie that are featuring? I ask on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, but I'm going to start with the patrons of this podcast and I'm going to start with Andy. And Andy says, I just want to start by saying that I was today years old when I realised that Jean Grey and Nightcrawler from X2 both appear in this movie. With that said, GoldenEye really could have led to something great. It easily pierced Brosnan's best outing as 007, and while I enjoy Tomorrow Never Dies more, it all falls on the shoulders of Michelle Yeoh, who violated the sacred rule that thou shalt not be cooler than Bond. And when I saw this in the theatre, I was absolutely blown away by it. Sadly, knowing now what I wish I had known then, Brosnan really falls behind as Bond. But as a standalone, I loved this movie and was happy that I was able to introduce a newish generation to this hero of the British crown. And we're going to follow that with Mike. And Mike says, This was the first Bond movie I saw in theatres. And maybe that makes me biased, but it's also my very favourite movie from the franchise. When it comes to James Bond, I've always held that the character needs to be equal parts dashing super spy and suave ladies man. And in his first outing, Pierce Brosnan embodies it perfectly. Sadly, his future outings failed to live up to the promise this one had. So, just sticking with Goldeneye, it is a perfect Bond movie, ingenious gadgets used appropriately to enhance the action but not overshadow it, a villain who is a match for Bond, an over-the-top action sequence with the climax, and even a great villainous henchwoman, on the top, on the top. You can't really ask for more from a James Bond movie. And Andy and Mike are a couple of the hosts of the amazing podcast Geek Salad. I like to give a plug for all of my patrons who have a podcast, so you should absolutely listen to Geek Salad. They've recently actually dropped an episode on great comic book movie villains, and it's a really, really fun episode, and I actually helped to contribute a little bit to it as well. But basically, if you like anything to do with geek culture, then you will absolutely love Geek Salad. I will pop some information in the show notes. And we have another patron comment from Brendan, who says... Still possibly the modern benchmark for nailing all the fun Bond stuff in a fun movie, while also still making a legitimately good film, GoldenEye remains a whale of a time. Brosnan combines Connery's rough and ready physicality with Moore's charm and brings his own twinkle to 007, while also demonstrating dynamite chemistry with the rest of the cast, especially Dame Judi Dench's M. Sean Bean also remains a highlight among the series' villains, doing a deliciously sneering shadowy reflection of the hero over a decade before it was practically a genre requirement. Brosnan may have had a wildly even run with his license to kill, but he really did start off with a terrific bang. And we have another patron comment from Derek who says, 
This redefined and reinvigorated the franchise. Also, it inspired the amazing GoldenEye game on the N64. I spent hours in my basement playing that game. PS will always be my bond. And you should absolutely check out Derek's podcast, The Midnight Myth, which he hosts with his wife, Laurel. It's all about history, philosophy and mythology and how those topics show up in pop culture. I will put some information in the show notes for them. And final patron comment is from Griff, who says, Brosnan's first outing as 007 is a fun, action-packed film. One of the most quotable Bond films. Would say the success of the same title video game helped Bond find a new audience. People thought the Bond franchise was dead, but they forget that Bond is... And he posted Boris's Invincible GIF. And the final patron plug of the episode goes to Griff, who hosts the Paul and Griff show with Paul. And they talk about new releases, movie news and trivia, as well as focusing currently on the movies of 1999. Info in the show notes for them too. Moving over to Twitter, we will start with at that fking guy who says, Never been a big Bond fan. Have seen multiple snippets of the films through the years, so it feels like I've seen lots more than I actually have. Really, I've seen maybe three all the way through. Goldeneye, however, I've seen multiple times, though, as it was on TV a lot. It's fine. At Shoot the Flick said, Pierce is my Bond. I grew up with him as Bond, and to me, he is the perfect Bond. He has the suave charm that I think is missing with Craig. Not only that, he never seemed goofy with all the gadgets. Just everything in Goldeneye was perfect, and that's why it's my favourite Bond film. At Oral underscore MFC said, It sets the tone for Brosnan's era. Slick, suave, full of gadgets and not taking itself at all seriously. The wild plots of Moore with the grit of Dalton, one of my favourite Bonds. At Spyhard said, We've gone on record several times, but I, Scott, will add this. Goldeneye is potentially one of the most important films in not only James Bond history, but also British film history. It revitalised Bond and proved its relevancy in a world that was keen to forget him. At It's a Musical Pod added, And it's just an amazing watch too, with one of the best video game adaptations that helped make its legacy more iconic. At The Cinema Guys said, Yes, I love Goldeneye. At Nikolai's Kitchen also loves this film so much. And we're going to come to Nick in a little bit. At a late reviewer said, My first Bond at the cinema. I remember the crowd being totally silent for the damn jump. And while I love Dalton, Brosnan's style was a great blend of Connery and more. Between this and Casino Royale, Martin Campbell's track record is strong. I really hope they give him a crack at Bond 26. At Gorilla Brain Pod said, Brosnan isn't my favourite Bond, but Goldeneye is top tier. It has everything from super hot Famke to an evil Sean Bean. The action sequences are top shelf, especially the tank chase. This was the perfect way to bring Bond back from the dead. At Launching T Pilot said, I got to know how many pen clicks was it seven or eight? At Will F86 said, Really enjoy Goldeneye. I think Sean Bean is a glorious villain, but would also love to have seen more of him as 006 working and bantering with Bond. And we finished Twitter comments with at Nicola's Kitchen, Nick Haskins, who says, One of the worst movies I've ever seen. Maybe I don't get Bond movies. I've seen this and Skyfall. Maybe it's two of its time. Performances are dreadful and the action sequences are laughably stupid. And don't get me started on the ridiculous tank sequence. Famke though. Dizzy face emoji. And I love your passionate hatred, Nicholas Haskins. I really do. <laughs> you are the best with passionate hatred and I love you for it. No comments over on Instagram, but we do have a comment on Facebook. And that comment is from Eric, who says... A fun Bond movie and a great introduction for Pierce Brosnan. I kind of have a weird relationship with the film, though, in that I didn't see the movie until I was a bit older and I played the GoldenEye N64 game so much as a kid that I always get distracted thinking about the latter when I watch the former. 
That being said, I still highly enjoy it and it's my second favourite Brosnan film after Tomorrow Never Dies. And as always, a huge thank you to everyone who took the time to leave a comment, even you, Nick. So originally, I ran a poll on Twitter and I suggested a few Bond movies to cover. A Goldfinger got 24.7%, Casino Royale got 32.9% and Goldeneye won with 42.4%. They're all game changers as far as Bond is concerned, but Goldeneye feels special. It feels unique in the Bond franchise and I'll be the first to admit that I'm hardly a James Bond aficionado. I grew up watching Connery and Moore, as those movies were on repeat on Saturday afternoons here in the UK, but it wasn't really until Brosnan that I started to pay attention to these movies. Goldeneye takes a sexist, misogynistic dinosaur and starts to turn him into more of a modern man. Arguably, this doesn't really come full circle till Daniel Craig's era of Bond, but the appointment of Judi Dench as M felt like an important turning point for the representation and depiction of women in these movies. Natalia is an underrated Bond girl in that she actually calls Bond out for being ridiculous. In many ways, Isabella Skorupko is overshadowed by Fanky Janssen's Xenia on a top, purely because Xenia is a femme fatale who kills men during sex. Going forward, we'd have more memorable women in Bond, like Michelle Yeoh's Wai Lin. Even Denise Richards and Halle Berry would be more memorable, but for very different reasons. And this is despite my affections for Diana of the Day. That torture cold open is honestly one of the best in the series, as far as I'm concerned. Goldeneye embodies everything you'd expect from Bond. A suave, sophisticated leading man in Brosnan, death-defying stunts, explosions, cars, gadgets and women, but also reinvigorated Bond. Dalton could never compete with the action heroes of the 80s, but Brosnan brings the physicality, the charm and charisma that you'd expect and brought the character up to date in a way that created a brand new generation of Bond fans. This was the millennials Bond. And while Brosnan's career as Bond didn't quite land the way this movie took off, Brosnan would create the template for a modern James Bond and leave a lasting legacy in the franchise that has so far remained unmatched. For England, James. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on GoldenEye. And if you did enjoy this episode, you can help this podcast grow and be noticed by others by telling your friends and family, especially if they like James Bond, about this episode. You could leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, or you can pop over to social media. You can give me a follow. I'll give you the handles in a little bit and you can retweet and like posts, which also helps as well. And if you're a fan of spy movies, and if you like this episode on GoldenEye specifically, you might also like one of the following. And I've not done very many spy movies, so this is kind of scraping the barrel a little bit, but I wanted to recommend episode 12, Charlie's Angels, because Charlie's Angels, the movie from 2000, is better than a lot of people give it credit for. I think it's super duper fun. So I will absolutely recommend The Angels all day, every day, Episode 69, Atomic Blonde, is probably the most comparable movie, especially because that movie is actually set during the Cold War and before the fall of the Berlin Wall. But it's an excellent Charlize Theron role. It's got great James McAvoy in there as well. And it's absolutely brilliant movie. It's a great action movie. It's a great spy movie. And it's so underrated as well. So if you are a fan of Bond, please find Atomic Blonde on DVD or on streaming, I guarantee you will love it. And episode 88, The Long Kiss Goodnight, because why would I not recommend a Rennie Harlan movie? Because <laughs> it has explosions. And, you know, Gina Davis was a spy in that movie. So it absolutely qualifies and it's 
great Tina Davis, great Samuel L. Jackson, great partnership, and it's just a lot of crazy, silly fun. But I would absolutely recommend all of those movies and all of those episodes. As always, give me feedback. Let me know if you like my episode recommendations or let me know if you think another movie should have been recommended instead. I mean, there's not really much in the verbal diorama canon that could be recommended against Bond, but there you go. I think those three are perfectly fine. The next episode, we're not sticking with Bond, but we are sticking with Alan Cumming, as he also stars in the next episode's movie, which is Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Obviously, the complete antithesis to Bond in every respect. Other than that, there are no links between the two, other than Romy manages to borrow a sweet ride that she then leaves behind in Tucson, but doesn't matter. Honestly, the movie that I've been asked to do the most in recent months is Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. So, <laughs> a couple of my friends really want me to cover Romy and Michelle. So I'm going to be doing Romy and Michelle. And that is a movie that I think a lot of people sleep on that I think a lot of people think is inconsequential fluff. But it's absolutely so much fun. So yeah, join me next week. I can't think. If anyone's listening and likes Bond and also likes Romy and Michelle, let me know on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. If you also want to support the show financially, you're under no obligation, of course. But if you would, you can sign up on the Patreon at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. As always, thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama, Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, and brand new patron Dave. A huge thanks to you, Dave, for becoming a Duke Kaboom patron. And to all patrons, someday... You have to make good on your innuendos. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch if you're interested. Or you can just get in touch with me. I like to speak to people. You can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can pop over to the website verbaldiorama.com. And I'm also at filmstories.co.uk. I write articles on the website and I also write for the magazine as well. So make sure you check that out. And finally, what? No small talk? No chit chat? That's the trouble with the world today. No one takes the time to do a really sinister interrogation anymore. It's a lost art. Bye. Movie should know.